Guys, ready for the word in the brand new space, in the brand new place? Hey, if you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read the beginning of one verse, and that is verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. I got a little bit of echo in my mic. Not sure what that's about. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's this room. It's just echoey, 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 but it's all good. I can, I can rock it if we need to. 1 Corinthians, I'm trying to stall. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to read one verse, and that's verse 26. I'll read it to you, and then we're going to come and visit the rest of it later. It says this, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, consider who you were when God called you. Consider who you were when God called you to salvation. Consider, listen to that. I know we're going to get to the rest of that passage here in a moment. But consider who you were when God called you to salvation. I think they're working on the echo right now. So it won't be there all night, I promise you. It's like we're in a stadium. This is so good. It's like passion all over again. Okay, this is so awesome. But consider who you were when God called you. Tonight, I want to preach God calls again. God calls again. Again, that is the title of my message tonight. And really what I, what I feel is I feel absolutely provoked. I feel an unction to come up here and tell some young people who maybe haven't heard this or haven't heard it in a long time or have been recently by a scheme or dream of the enemy been convinced that they don't have a call of God on their life. And what I came up here tonight is to undo that lie and remind you that there is a call of God on your life. I don't know if you realize that. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that. I don't know if you feel like you fit inside of that category of people who have a calling of God on their life. But let this little skinny white boy tell you tonight, God has a calling on your life. There is a call from God on your life. And that is what I feel absolutely provoked to talk about. I had a few passages of scripture on my heart and God made it really clear what we were supposed to talk about tonight. And this is where I want to launch from is that God calls again. If you're taking notes, you can title this message, God calls again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you now for the moments that we are going to share around your word, around your story. Lord, I thank you that we are here right now in this moment, not just because we chose to be, but Lord, you, because you've beckoned us. Lord, you've been calling to us. And Lord, I thank you that right now we would get everything you brought us here to get. Lord, I thank you that there wouldn't be a distraction. There wouldn't be a mindset. There wouldn't be an anxiety that would be able to, to seduce our minds somewhere else other than taking in what you have for us tonight. Lord, I thank you that you would make yourself so clear. Lord, I thank you that you would be the one who preaches tonight, not me. Lord, as I just go, I thank you that you are gonna speak prophetically even. Lord, I thank you that you just even, even though I don't know it, Lord, give me the right words. Lord, make my words tailor-made for the hearts in here. Help me say it in a way that's gonna, it's going to land right where it needs to land. We thank you, Lord. Put me on like a glove and do your thing. Help us see Jesus. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, come on. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. That was better. I knew you could. 
Um, I, was, I was thinking recently, and uh, you know, I was reminded of a story. I, I was, it was 2018, 2018, and you have to understand, I don't know if you realize that, but I'm not just a pastor here. I am just a pastor here, but I also get to travel and preach at different conferences and church services and camps and all sorts of things around the country, and honestly, I've done it around the world. Um, and uh, in 2018, at the end of 2018, um, I found myself in Dubai, okay, of all places, in Dubai, in the UAE, in the, in the United Arab Emirates, I was smack dab in the city of Dubai. And the reason I was there is because I was on my way somewhere else, okay? And, but any reason to be in Dubai is a good reason. I'll tell you that right now. Any reason to be in Dubai is a good reason. Because as the video that went viral a few years ago said, Dubai was lit, okay? I don't know if you saw that video. Maybe it just, I'm aging myself right now, okay? I'm about to be, I'll be 27 next month, okay? But Dubai was lit, okay? And so I was on my way somewhere else, but we had a layover in Dubai, okay, of all places. We were on our way uh, to, to Africa. I was gonna preach a tour in Africa. Uh, I was in Kampala, Uganda. And so, but we had this one layover in, in, in Dubai. And so I remember we were there and actually uh, Joy and McKenna were with me on this trip. They were going to Africa, uh, but for an entirely different purpose. And their parents just kind of stuck them with me since I was going. They're like, take care of our girls. I was like, what? Okay, like, I have no experience with this, okay? So we get there, we're in Dubai, we're running around and they take us to the Burj Khalifa. I don't know if you paid attention in like your history class or wherever it is you learn about these things because I wasn't paying attention. Okay, I just know it because I was there, all right? They take us to the Burj Khalifa. Now, if you're not familiar with the Burj Khalifa, the Burj Khalifa is the tallest building in the world, okay? It's not just the tallest building in Dubai. It is the tallest building on planet Earth. It is literally a mile tall, okay? This is ridiculous, okay? And so next, after we take a gander at the Burj Khalifa, you know, we take some photos. You know, the gram eats first. So we go there, we take some pics, right? So we're sitting there and they go, okay, now we're gonna leave here and we're gonna go to the next site and it is the largest mall in the world. I'm like, I thought they said you can't get bigger in Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. Everything, evidently everything's bigger in Dubai, okay? Because they have the tallest building in the world and then they have the largest mall in the world, which is literally right next to the, the, the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building. So we sit there, we're looking at the Burj Khalifa and then they take us to the mall. And you have to understand, this was my sign from God that I was on the right trip, okay? Because your boy likes to shop, okay? I really do. I enjoy shopping. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I, I just do. I'm not going to make any apologies for it. There is a real thing. It's called retail therapy, okay? It is a real thing. Even whenever I don't have money to spend, I still just enjoy going to the mall and imagining what I could buy, okay? It's fun. All right. So we go there, and we're at, we're at this, the, the Dubai Mall, and we're walking through, and I'm jet-lagged out of my mind. You have to imagine, we just flew 16 hours, 16 and a half hours to Dubai. We got off, and I wanted to take all these videos, and they were like, hey, you're not allowed to post that you're here. I was like, I'm not allowed to post that I'm here? They're like, yeah, for security purposes, we need you to like save those videos and then post them like when you're gone, okay? Like pretend like you're in Dubai when you're in Africa. I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I'm sitting there taking all these videos. I'm going to post in like a few days when I'm actually in Africa, safe and sound, okay? And we're walking around Dubai. And I remember we went in the mall and this mall is, is crazy, okay? It's like six stories tall. We're walking through. The Apple store is literally three 
story saw the apple store in and of itself all by itself i was like this is as close as we gonna get to heaven on earth okay it was awesome all right so we're sitting there three-story apple store and then in the middle of the mall in the middle of the mall they have this giant aquarium okay this aquarium i'm not exaggerating i know preachers can exaggerate i'm not going to be one of those preachers okay the aquarium was literally taller than our building I'm not playing around. It literally is taller than the ceiling right now. It's in the middle of the Dubai Mall, and we're walking by, and there are sharks swimming in this aquarium. Every, every, every aspect of aquatic life is present in this aquarium, okay? There are literal, listen to me, literal, no word of a lie, scuba divers, live scuba divers in this aquarium and they're like swimming around they're waving at all like all the little kids and they got their little tanks and the bubbles are going everywhere it's wild so i'm like oh oh you know i'm just a little te- boy from west texas i've i've never seen anything like this i'm like i've been to sunset mall but i've never been to do i've never been to dubai mall okay this is my mall forget sunset mall this is my mall all right I'm playing, no shade, no shade at Sunset Mall. Sunset Mall cast its own shade. Ironically, sunset, the sun is setting on that mall. Okay, it set a long time ago. So we're there, we're at this Dubai Mall. I'm seeing all the sights. We go in the three-story Apple store. I'm sitting there staring at all this aquatic life in front of me. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And sure, surely enough, later on, they go, all right, it's time for us to go to the hotel. And I was pretty jet lagged, so I was down for that. And all of a sudden we begin to make our way toward the exit of the mall. And we're going up this escalator. And all of a sudden, as I'm going up the escalator, I begin to smell something that smells familiar. Okay, I haven't smelled anything familiar in a really long time. Thanks to the sickness that we will not mention because it gets mentioned enough, okay? I still have not gotten my smell back. This was like six months ago, seven months ago, okay? But in this moment, I started to... That, sounds, that, smells, that smells familiar. Like I know that smell. And I'm like, ooh, it smells, that smells good. It smells good. I'm sitting there and I'm like, I look like a weirdo. Just, I look like, like a little bloodhound or something. I'm just like going crazy on this escalator. And we're going up, we're going up. And surely enough, every, a lot of us start to be like, yeah, I, I recognize this smell. And all of a sudden we get to the top of the escalator. We follow the smell. We round a corner in this Dubai mall. And all of a sudden our eyes cannot believe what they see because we see Texas Roadhouse. I'm not playing around. There is a bona fide, legitimate Texas Roadhouse in the Dubai Mall. I'm sitting there like, what? And all of a sudden, we just start high-fiving each other. Like, because a bunch of us are from Texas, like, we made it! You know what I mean? Like, like we had anything to do with it. We're just running around, like, chest bumping, like, yeah! Like, Texas in Dubai. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, you know, as, as we calm down, because, I mean, we're Texans, we get rowdy, we calm down, we finally begin to go. And that was the moment, all of a sudden, I had this aha moment. I was like, this whole time, I thought that only Texans went to Texas Roadhouse. I had this, I had this weird moment. I was like, I, re- I legitimately thought that only that Texas Roadhouse was only in Texas. And I found out that day that Texas Roadhouse isn't just for Texans. And listen to me, I know that that's a weird little story and you're wondering why in the world I told it to you, but I think what I'm praying tonight happens is that you have an aha moment similar to Keenan Clark in the Dubai Mall, but I'm praying that it's about the call of God that is on your life. Because I'm praying that you begin to realize that the call of God is not just relegated to the people you thought it was for. 
that evidently the call of God is applicable and available to more people than you ever thought it was. Listen to me, having a calling from God is not just for people of prayer. It's not just for preachers. It's not just for old grandmas with some prayer closet and quilted pillows inside. I'm here to tell you, having a calling of God is for any child of God. And if you're sucking oxygen on this planet, my Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I'm here to tell you tonight, you already belong to him. You all, I'm preaching better than y'all are shouting tonight. My goodness, this is the church of the chosen frozen. What is this? Preaching better than you're shouting tonight. But I'm telling you tonight, I'm praying that your eyes begin to open because it gets easy. Listen to me, and I sympathize with you. It gets easy to just relegate a calling from God to preachers and, pastor, and pastors and goody two-shoes and people who mind their business and people who pray and highlight their Bible and show up to church every second the doors open. It gets really easy to begin to relegate the calling of God toward those people. And I'm here to tell you, God has a call on your life. There's a calling on your life. And can I tell you right now, those of you who are beginning to bristle at this message, I can sense it right now. You're already beginning to tune out. You're already beginning to go, yeah, I guess I missed it. Church isn't for me tonight. Can I tell you, this sermon is for you. The ones pushing against this the most need it the most. The people who say there's no way there is a call of God on this life. I came here tonight to tell you, look again, there's a call. There's a call of God on your life. You just haven't heard it yet. You haven't heard it yet. I'm telling you tonight, there is a calling of God because we begin to think that God will call me when I start living according to someone I think he would call. And can I just remind you of the verse we read a moment ago? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Let's throw it back up. It said this, brothers and sisters, consider who you were before God called you. Oh, no, that, well, sorry, my eyes deceived me. That's not what it says. Consider who you were when he called you. When God called you. Consider who you were when he put his calling on you. Not before God showed up, not before he called your name. Consider who you were when he called your name. Consider what you were going through. Consider what you were thinking like. Consider the, beha the behaviors you were wrapped up in. Consider the sin that you were tangled in when he called your name. I'm telling you, God is not waiting for you to live up to the call to give you the call. And that's what we think. God, God is waiting for me to live up to a certain standard before he calls me to do something. I'm here to tell you, the only thing that wakes you up to the call is the call. The call of God is on your life. It's not consider who you were before. It's consider who you were when he called you, when he put that calling on the inside of you. Don't you dare give up. I've sensed it right now. There is somebody in this room. It's probably more than one, but there's at least one. You have been tempted recently due, due, due to a stream and a string of circumstances that have not gone your way to give up on the call of God on your life. Doors haven't opened when you wanted them to open. People haven't seen you when you needed them to see you. Opportunity hasn't come when you thought it should come. And therefore you are tempted to walk out on the call of God on your life. And I really feel sent here prophetically to tell you, don't. It is not time to give up. Consider who you were when God called you, when he called your name. Let's look at Matthew. I have one other verse for you and then we're gonna jump into a story. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. 14. 
This is a verse that puzzled me for years because it just sounds weird, but let me explain it. Matthew 22, 14 says this, for many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. You're like, oh, this is why I get it. I'm called, but I just haven't been chosen yet. Um, That's actually not what this verse means. I was puzzled for years by this verse. You have to understand, I'm a church kid. I read this verse before I probably even understood what I was reading, okay? And I didn't understand. So I began to ask me, what does this mean? Many are called, but few are chosen. Chosen. And what this essentially means, can I give you the Bible in blue jeans for a, real, for a real quick second? What this means is many are called, few answer the call. Many are called, few actually pick up the phone. And I came here to tell you tonight, pick up the phone. Pick up the phone, because guess what? God calls again. He calls again, and he calls again, and he calls again, and he calls again, and he calls again. I came here to tell somebody tonight, pick up the phone. Many are called, but few are chosen. Few actually accept the great calling that God has placed on their life. Can I say, can I tell you right now, the calling God placed on you, it says way more about God than it does about you. Some of you are like, I don't feel worthy of that call. Can I tell you that's the point? <laughs> that's the point. The second you feel worthy and you understand, you can ascertain as to why God would give you that calling, guess where the glory goes? To you. So God put a call on you, you would never feel, you would never feel strong enough to carry the weight of, because then when you can carry it, you don't get the glory, he gets the glory. You're supposed to feel out of your depth. You're supposed to feel like it's too great for you. That's why he gave it to you. So you would lean on him like you never have before. Many are called, few are chosen. There is a call of God on your life. And we see here in in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter three is where we're gonna go here in a moment. But before we get there, before we get there, I I wanna set the scene for you real quick. We're gonna be looking at a few people tonight. The first person we're gonna be looking at is, by, uh, is about a young man named Samuel. Samuel's kind of the, the main character or one of them uh, of this moment. He actually wrote this book, First Samuel. So we're gonna be looking at Samuel tonight, but we're gonna be looking at him when he was just a boy. We're gonna be looking at him when he gets to about the age of 12. The second person we're gonna be looking at tonight is a guy by the name of Eli. Eli, okay? And some of you aren't familiar with Eli, some of you are. Eli is a high priest. For those of you who that still is like, I don't know what that means, Kenan. He's a big religious deal, okay? Real big. And at this moment, he's really old. He's been the high priest for a long time. And these are the two main characters that we're gonna be looking at tonight. But before we jump into Samuel, I need to tell you about Samuel's mom. Because Samuel's mom shows up in 1 Samuel chapter one. And Samuel's mom, her name's Hannah, okay? And you have to understand that she's married to a, a guy named Elkanah and she could not have a baby to save her life. Life. The Bible says that she was barren, couldn't, she couldn't have any children. So all of a sudden, she gets to this point that she's tried and tried and tried to have a baby. And here's what I love about Hannah. She doesn't give up. So many of us, so many of us, we have things, we have, dis- we have deficiencies, we have proclivities, we have issues in our life. And then we look up and we think, this is just all I'm gonna have to deal with the rest of my life. I guess this isn't going anywhere. And what I love about Hannah is she never came to that conclusion. Can I tell you right now, real faith 
does not come to that conclusion. Logic will. But God did not say we walk by logic. He said we walk by faith. We walk by faith. So Hannah is, is trying all she can. She desperately wants a child, but she can't have one. So guess what she does? She began to pray. And I know that doesn't shock you because we're reading the Bible. But can I tell you, that is what you ought to be doing when things do not go well in your life. Can I just tell you right now, I'm a little old school. I actually still believe in prayer. I'm all for therapy, okay? I'm all for going to see a counselor. I'm all for talking to your friends. But can I tell you right now, none of those people know you like the one who fashioned you in your mother's womb. You gotta get to know the architect of your soul in order to fix what's wrong with your soul. And we run to people who don't know anything about us other than the things we tell them to try to fix us. Can I tell you right now, there are things about you you aren't even aware of that Jesus needs to begin to mend. You're aware of some of the brokenness. Can I tell you right now, you are not aware of all of your brokenness. Your friends around you are actually probably more aware of some areas than you are. I know mine are. Things that you don't even realize are broken that are broken. You need to go to the one who fashioned you in order to fix you. So Hannah, she continues to go to God. And all of a sudden the Bible tells us this in 1 Samuel 1, that she's pacing outside of the temple and she's beginning to pray. And the Bible says this, that she's praying, but no words are really coming out. She's just kind of muttering to herself, right? She's praying. And the Bible says this, that Eli, the high priest, follow me real quick, he sees her. She's outside the temple and she's pacing and she's praying under her breath, but no words are really coming out because she's really just trying to talk to God. She's not trying to put on a show. She's genuinely trying to talk to God. And Eli sees her and he goes, woman, you must be drunk. That's what he assumes. He literally looks at her praying and assumes that she's drunk. He says, woman, put your wine away. How long are you going to be drunk? You can imagine his preacher voice comes out in that moment. Woman, how dare thee come up into front of the temple drunk as a skunk like that. You can imagine this is how he begins to speak. And all of a sudden, Hannah looks at him, and I love it. She claps all the way back. <laughs> she claps back at the man of God. She said, no, I'm not drunk. In fact, I've not been on spirits. I'm bearing my spirit before the Lord. That's what I'm doing. I am pouring out my soul. I am pouring out my heart before the Lord. Notice, Eli, what does he represent? He represents religion. And what did religion do when it saw her? It assumed the worst of her. It assumed the worst. Can I tell you, that's why our world doesn't need religion because religion will always assume the worst. It looked at her, it would've been easy. She's outside the temple muttering something. It would've been easy to jump to praying. But no, he jumped to the, through like three hoops and was like, she must be drunk. You can tell how religious you are by what you assume about other people. You really can. A spirit of religion will always assume the worst because you need everybody to be worse than you because you're trying to wake, work your way up the ladder and you need people to be way down there. So you assume everyone's down there. Eli looks at her and says, you must be drunk. She said, I ain't drunk. I ain't drunk. In fact, what I'm doing is I'm praying that God would give me a baby. And Eli kind of sobers up. He's like, oh, wow, he, he's the one that needed to be sober because he's sober-minded. He's drunk on judgment, okay? So he sits there and he's like, actually, here's a word from God for you. Let it be done. 
He says, you're going to get pregnant. So you can imagine she begins to do like a little Pentecostal dance. She's like, woo! She gets, she, the spirit hit that church. You know what I mean? It, it went full tilt. And all of a sudden she gets so happy. She did a little jig and then she goes on home and she tells her, sus, her, her husband, Elkanah, she said, guess what the man of God told me? He said, we're going to have a baby. He said, girl, let me do my part. And so that night for dinner, they had a little brown chicken, brown cow, if you know what I'm saying. He said, girl, let me help you out. Let me be a godly man. There's a word on your life. Let me partner with it. Let me partner with it. And they were married, okay? So they, this is totally cool. You know what I mean? You can have brown chicken, brown cow for dinner every night when you're married, all right? Have seconds, okay? <laughs> Praise God. So all of a sudden, so all of a sudden, recenter. All of a sudden, they begin to go along with the word of God. And surely enough, Hannah gets pregnant and she is pregnant with Samuel. And here's the thing I love about Hannah. Here's the thing I love about her. And this is the last place we see her. Hannah, when, when, when Samuel was born, guess what she said? She said, God made good on his word. So here's what I'm going to do. The second he is old enough to be weaned off of me, I'm going to give him back to God. I'm going to take him back to the temple and I'm going to give him to God. I'm going to allow him to quite literally grow up in the house of God. And can I tell you right now, when you actually are seeking God for God, when he blesses you, your natural response is just to give it right back. It's just to give it right back. When you are actually seeking God for God, not just what he can do, but when you're seeking him for him, when you're seeking him for who he is, when he gives you what you want, you're like, I, I wanted you all along. You can have it right back. Can I tell you, maybe that's why God hasn't given you what you're asking for, is because the second he knows, the second he gives it to you, you will no longer have a need for him because God is just a means to your end. And the second he gives it to you, he loves the relationship so much, he'd rather you keep coming around just to ask him for it than give it to you and never see you again. Hannah gets the baby and she says, the second he's able to no longer need me, I'm giving him back to God. And surely enough, she does this. Samuel hits around the age of four and she literally escorts him down to the temple to, to Eli, the high priest. And she says, he's going to come live with you. I'll visit him every once in a while, but he's going to come live here at the temple with you. We fast forward the story. Now we're in first Samuel chapter three. And I know it's just two chapters later from first Samuel chapter one, but you have to understand eight years have gone by eight different, eight long years of Samuel living in the temple. He was, he was four years old when this journey started, and now he is 12 years old living in this temple. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Notice this, notice this, notice this. Hey, um, I'm one of those people that when you read the Bible, I think the details are important. Because a lot of places it would have said, now Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, but it didn't say that. It said, now the boy, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Can I just teach you how to read your Bible? Can you actually read your Bible? You need to read the words that are actually there because they are there on purpose. I don't think this is an insignificant detail. That Samuel, what the Bible wants you to understand is he's still just a boy. Don't you dare think he's grown all the way up yet. He still has a lot of maturing to do. He has not stepped into the fullness of the man of God that he will be. Yet he was still ministering to the Lord. He was still somehow walking in his call 
even as a child. And what I want you to understand is this about the call of God on your life is that the calling of God doesn't have an age. The call of God on your life, it does not have an age limit. And here's what the enemy will do. The enemy, if he can't convince you that you're not called, he'll just convince you, yeah, but you can't do it yet. You can't do it yet. I know you're called. You're you're, you're a big deal. You're going to change the whole world. Just not yet. Wait. And we go along with that. And I have to tell you, there are so many of us who think we're being obedient to God, but we're actually being obedient to the enemy. And the reason we are comfortable with waiting is because what the enemy said actually lines up with our insecurities and it's easier for us to go along with those rather than actually stepping out in faith and trusting that though I don't feel I'm enough, I know you're always enough. And if you're calling me out on this limb, I trust that there's fruit out there. There is not an age limit because that's what the enemy does. You wake up one day, you feel called by God and the enemy goes, yeah, but you're too young. And then you wake up the next day, he says, oh, you're still too young. And then you wake up the next day, he's up, you're too young. And you wake up the next day, he's up, you're too young. Until finally you wake up one day, he goes, oh, you're too old. You're too old now. You're past your prime. You're irrelevant. Nobody wants to hear from you. The enemy will only ever tell you you're either too young or you're too old. But I'm here to tell you, you're too called to wait around for the enemy to get comfortable with the calling of God he's placed on your life. You're too called. Stop waiting. I'm not telling you to get, I'm not telling you to not be submitted. I'm not telling you to not go through the process. There is a process to this. But what I'm saying is be present in the process now. Play your part now. There is not an age limit on the calling of God. Can I tell you right now, if God needed an older version of you, he'd have waited till he had an older version of you. God calls the version he needs. And if he's calling you now, that means he needs you now. You are not a day late and you are not a dollar short and you are not past your prime. I even feel like maybe there's somebody listening to this on podcast or listening to this on YouTube and you're trying to tell yourself, yeah, all those youngins, they're, 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 they're trying to get over the fact that they're too young. But can I tell you right now, you're not too old. You are not too old. God's calling you right now and it's time for you to step into the fullness of everything that he's called you to be. You are not too old, but there's, the calling of God doesn't have an age limit. And it's time that we begin to take him seriously. The boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Can we throw verse one back up? Because I ain't done with verse one. This is just verse one. I ain't done that. It says this, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And the word of the Lord was rare and there were no frequent visions. Now we can naturally begin to assume That God just must not have anything to say. I think that's what a lot of us assume when God's not talking to us. God, I need a word. Guess you don't have one. Radio silence. We can naturally begin to assume that maybe God just didn't have anything to say. But can I tell you right now, the reason the word of the Lord was rare was this, is that Eli, the high priest, he had two sons. One was named Hophni and the other one's name was Phineas. And can I tell you right now, they were straight up hooligans, hooligans. Hophni and Phineas, they were not trying to grow up and be godly men themselves. No, they were in the temple, but can I tell you they were not of the temple. These two guys, Hophni and Phineas, they were going around and when women would come up to make their sacrifice at the temple, they would proposition them and have sex with them in the temple of God. Hophni and Phinehas are literally making women 
using their power to force women to have sex with them in the presence of God. How sick is that? Not only that, but when a man would come up, sometimes they'd just straight up jump him for fun. They were beating people up in the temple, Hophni and Phinehas, just because they needed something to do. And then lastly, sometimes when a little family would come up to offer their sacrifice before the Lord, they would sift through it, and whatever they liked, they would keep for themselves, and they would let the, the family sacrifice whatever they didn't want. I see him sitting there saying, no, sir, that, was, that part's for God. Do you think I care? Did I ask who it was for? I said, it's mine, it's mine. My dad's the high priest. This is the way Hophni and Phinehas were. They were running amok, making a mockery of the house of God. And here is why the word of the Lord was rare. Eli, their dad, knew all of this and did nothing. Eli knew all about it. He knew about the sex. He knew about them beating people up. He knew about them taking what they wanted and he just stayed quiet. Can I tell you right now, all evil needs in order to triumph is for good men to sit back and do nothing. Eli evidently didn't value the word of God. So God said, why would I give you something you don't even value? The word of the Lord was rare because their hearts had turned from him. Eli just evidently had this inner posture that was just like, I guess boys will be boys. Can I tell you right now, I've said this so many times, but any chance I get an opportunity to, I have to take it. Can I tell you that is demonic? That's demonic. The idea that boys will be boys. Can I tell you right now, you can control yourself, sir. You can wine her and dine her. You can treat her like the queen that she is. You can love her so much as Christ loved the church, so much so that he gave himself up for her. Not just waited around for her, not opened the car door, but he gave himself up. And we wonder why people are acting like boys when we've never shown them what a real man looks like. Eli wouldn't show his boys what a man of God looked like, so no wonder they went to hell in a handbasket. And God says, if you can't even steward your own family, why would I let you steward my word? Why would I let you steward my word? So the word of the Lord became rare in those days. Can I tell you this? It's because they had turned their hearts away from the word. Whatever you turn to, you turn up. And whatever you turn down, you turn down. There are some of you tonight, you feel like God's not speaking to you. It's because after year, after year, after year, it's not that God got quiet. It's that you have become an expert of turning his voice down. You now know how to tune him out. It's kind of like when you fall into sin for one of the first times and you know you shouldn't. You begin to develop that habit. And every time you do it, you feel horrible, right? The conviction of the Holy Spirit hits your heart. And you say, God, I'll never do it again. And the next day you do it again. And then you go, God, I'll never do it again. I can't believe I did that. That is so beneath me. I know who I am in Christ. Why would I do that? But then you do it again and again and again and again and again and again. And you look up three years later and the same thing doesn't feel the same afterwards. You used to feel the conviction. And now it feels fine. It almost feels like maybe God doesn't have an issue with it. Can I tell you, God didn't change his mind. You just changed the channel. God didn't change his mind. You just changed the channel. You are no longer dialed in to what he's trying to say to you. You've become an expert through muscle memory of turning the volume down. So what's happened here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord was rare. 
because people would rarely listen. So all of a sudden we see this. Let's jump into verse two. It says this, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 2, it says, At that time, Eli, again, the high priest, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, so, that he could, so much so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Now, some of you are like, this doesn't seem that that big of a deal, Kenan. Okay, let me paint a picture for you. Eli is over here in his little, in his little quarters, okay? He's asleep. And Samuel... The young 12-year-old boy, he's laying right next to the Ark of God. You have to understand, this is called the Ark of the Covenant, okay? In this day and age, this is where the literal presence of God dwelt, okay? It was inside of this box that had two cherubim with their wings covering it. This is literally wherever that box went, the presence of God went. And Samuel is sleeping next to the box, He's sleeping next to the ark. Now you have to understand, because now Jesus has died, we don't have to go to a box. We don't even have to go to a big box called a building. We can go straight to the throne of God because now the presence of God is now in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it was not so in this day. So Samuel is literally asleep next to the presence of God. He's sleeping near the ark. And the reason this is significant is because of verse seven. I know this comes later, but I want you to see this. First Samuel chapter three, verse seven, it says this. Now Samuel didn't, listen to this. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the Lord had not been revealed. Then the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. Samuel did not know the Lord. So Samuel is sleeping next to the box. He's sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant, yet he doesn't know God. He's in the presence of God, but he doesn't know God. Can I tell you right now, you can spend night after night after night in the literal presence of God and still not know God. Because it's not about getting the presence around you, it's about his presence being in you. So many of us, we come into church, we show up week after week, and we wonder why things aren't changing. It's not because you didn't get in the church, it's because what's in the church didn't get in you. I'm telling you, you can be around the things of God and still not know God. This is not about a religion. This is not about us showing up and crossing T's and dotting I's and trying to hope that the big man upstairs isn't royally pissed off this week. This is about us getting to know our creator, getting to know our architect, because you can be in the church and still not know the one who started it. You can be in the church and still not know the one who started it. Samuel is asleep in the presence of God and does not know God. Night after night after night doesn't know the Lord. And this is what I love. Samuel's laying there asleep. And all of a sudden we see this verse four. It says this. Then the Lord called to Samuel. Then the Lord called to Samuel. And Samuel said, here I am. And he got up and he ran to Eli. Now you have to understand, Samuel is sitting there, and a lot of us, we can think that God's talking to Samuel the same way maybe he would talk to me or he talks to you. It's just this little, this little unction. You know, that's how he talks to me. It's like in my head, you know, in my spirit. I've literally never heard the audible voice of God. Can I just tell you that? If you're waiting to serve God until you've heard his audible voice, I would still be waiting on that call, okay? But Samuel in this moment gets a whole different thing. Literally, God goes, Samuel, out loud. He literally calls his name and Samuel's asleep by the box and goes, Whoop. coming Eli, 
and he takes off and he runs into Eli's room. He takes off through the house thinking Eli had called him. Notice, God called him, but he ran to somebody else. God called him, but listen to me, he ran to a familiar place. What familiar place are you running when God calls you? I think, honestly, if we were to be really transparent tonight, we all have an Eli. We all have a thing that we run to. Can I tell you right now, Eli in this moment represents something that was good. I told you, when Eli started as high priest, his heart was after God. That's why he got the job. That's why God's hand was on his life. But here's the problem. As the story continued and as Eli's life went on, he started good, but he didn't stay good. Eli, can I tell, let me help you with this. Eli represents something that was good in one season, but because it didn't grow with God, it's now bad in this season. Eli represents something that started so good, but because it didn't grow with God, it's now toxic. And Samuel gets up and he runs to something that seems good, but it's not good in this season. What good thing are you running to? that isn't the God who's calling you? What familiar place are you running when God comes calling? Samuel perks up, he's like, coming Eli, and begins to, he gets over to Eli, and Eli starts rubbing the sleep out of his eyes. He's like, excuse me, boy, you must have lost your ever-loving mind, okay? Eli looks at him, he says, hey, I didn't call you. Samuel has to look at him so confused, he's like, excuse me, you didn't call me? He said, I didn't call you, go back to bed. He sloughs him off. And so Samuel walks back to bed, dazed and confused as to what in the world was calling him. And can I tell you right now, that is why so many of us are confused about our calling. Is because when God calls, we run somewhere that isn't calling us. Can I tell you, no wonder you've been set up for disappointment. You didn't have an appointment with that thing to begin with. No wonder you end up disappointed every time you run to it. It never set an appointment with you. It's God who's got an appointment with you. It's God who's called your number. It's God who knows the number of hairs you have on your head and watches you when you sleep. It's God who knows the reason you're sucking oxygen on this planet. And so it's no wonder we end up in disappointment when we run to other things when he calls. And notice he walks back to the place he started in disappointment. You ever felt like you were in a holding pattern? You get going, and you're right back to where you started. You get going, and you're right back to where you started. It's because, listen to me, if you aren't going, and the one who has already gone before you, you will always end up in disappointment. God called Samuel, and Samuel ran to what was familiar. You're running to a familiar place. And this is the word God gave me for tonight. And this is what I believe God's doing. God told me this, I'm coming for your Eli. That's what I'm doing tonight. I'm coming after your Eli. I'm coming after that place that you keep running rather than coming to me. And you keep running to it because you believe it's a good thing. But listen to me, it's not a good thing that's calling you. It's a God thing that's calling you. God says, no, 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 I'm coming after your Eli with a vengeance tonight. I'm coming after that place that you keep running when I call you, that familiar place, that label, that dream, 
that plan, that relationship, that mindset, I'm coming after it. I'm coming after your Eli. So all of a sudden Samuel goes and lays back down. And here's what I love. Here's what I love. Don't miss this. Samuel ran to the wrong thing when God called him. And here's what I love about God. God calls again. God calls again. Can I tell you right now, I don't care if you zigged when you were supposed to zag. I don't care if you hung a left when God called you to take a right. I don't care if you said no when God said to say yes, or you said yes when God called you to tell you no. I'm telling you right now, God's calling again. My Bible says that the gift and the call of God, they're irrevocable. They are without repentance. I'm telling you, God's call, it's bigger than you. God is more committed to your calling than you are. You realize that. God is more committed to your calling than you are. You think he'd give up the first time you left him? You think he'd give up the first time you didn't take the route he called you to take? He's more committed to your calling than you are. And my Bible says that God, he called again. He called again to Samuel. So Samuel lays back down and all of a sudden God goes, Samuel! Samuel pops back up. And here's the thing, and guys, this is so us. We are so dumb, okay? Samuel wakes up and he goes, come in, Eli! And he runs to Eli again. And Eli looks at him, he says, yo, I didn't call you. What in the world? I'm not the one who's calling you. Go back to bed, go back to bed. So Samuel sits there in disappointment yet again. And he goes and he lays down again. And all of a sudden he sits there and here's the crazy thing. God calls again. Can I tell you right now, God is committed to the call he placed on you. I just feel you need to hear that tonight. He is committed to it. He is committed to it. He is committed to it. He will be faithful to that, which he is calling you to be faithful. God will never be unfaithful to what he's called you to be faithful just because you're unfaithful. God's never going to step into unfaithfulness just because you stepped into it. God's never going to mimic you. That's what we believe. We believe that God treats us the way we treat him. God does not. God is not going to compromise his character just because you compromised yours. He stays the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm here to tell somebody, though you've ignored him time and time again, God's calling again. He calls again. He's calling again. So Samuel goes and lays down. And here's the thing I want you to understand about Samuel. Some of you don't realize this, but Samuel didn't stay that 12-year-old boy forever. Samuel grew up and became one of the biggest and baddest prophets of God you've ever seen. Some of you, you've heard about him. Because in 1 Samuel 16, this 12-year-old boy is not a 12-year-old boy anymore. He's a full-grown man. And he walks into this house, a house by, who, who, who's owned by a guy named Jesse. And he says, God told me, I heard the voice of God. And God told me the next king of Israel is coming out of this house. And he looks at all the sons that that man presented, Jesse presented. And he says, nope, God says it's not him. I hear him so clearly. It's not any of them. You must have another son. And all of a sudden this Jesse guy goes, yeah, there is one more. And it's, he's kind of in the field over there and his name is David. And all of a sudden they escort David in and this little 12 year old boy who could not hear God straight, hears God say, that's the king. 
anoint him. And he pours oil on his head. And that king would become the most famous king Israel has ever had. And guess what? Jesus Christ himself, the redeemer of our soul, would come through that man's lineage. That Samuel had heard a prophetic unction to recognize. And the reason I tell you that is Samuel recognized all that. He heard all that. And yet even he got it wrong the first three times. Even Samuel got it wrong the first three times. You think you're going to bat a thousand? You think that just because you've missed God before, that must mean that God's hand's not on your life? Bull! It's a load of crap. It's right from the pit of hell. I need to send that thought back where it came from. Return to sender. I'm telling you, just because you've missed God before doesn't mean you have to miss him now. Because God calls again. So Samuel lays down, and all of a sudden, God calls him a third time. And Samuel, he just doesn't know any better at this point. He runs to Eli. He's convinced Eli's calling him. And here's the thing I want you to notice about this. Is Samuel, to Samuel, evidently the, the voice of God sounded more normal than he ever imagined it would. It sounded more normal. I thought it would come in this big booming cloud or like this interesting man would appear in the corner of my room and give me a word and then vanquish into the night. That's what I thought a call from God, but evidently God's voice sounded more familiar than Samuel ever imagined it would. Can I tell you right now, you've heard God's voice, you've slept it off as you. You've, you've heard God's voice, you just thought, no, that's just me. That's just me calling me to that. That's just me, that's just some vain imagination. That ain't God. And I'm not telling you that every thought you've ever had was God, I am not. But some of them, you chalked it up to, that's just me thinking. When it was indeed God, it just didn't come like you thought it would come. So Samuel runs to the familiar place. He runs to Eli. And finally, Eli has the wherewithal to realize something's weird about this. So he looks at Samuel. And he says, hey, hey, I, I didn't call you, but here's what you ought to do. The next time, if this voice calls you again, I want you to lay down. And I want you to say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. That's all I want you to say. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Can I tell you right now, that's all God expects you to do when he calls is listen. And the problem is so much of the time when God calls, we do all the talking. Every time God calls us, we do all the talking and we never do any listening. No wonder you've never heard what he's called you to do. It's always just been you talking to him. And he says, hey, next time, just say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. All God is looking for is your ear tonight. Can I tell you right now? He's just looking for your ear. Because my Bible says in Romans 10, 17, that faith, it comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is how faith is produced, by you listening to the word that God is speaking over your life. So he tells him, hey, go back and just listen listen. You don't have to know what he's going to say. Can I just debunk that for you? Some of you felt, I've got to know what God is going to say when he calls me. You don't have to know what he's going to say. You just have to position yourself to hear him say it. So he tells him, hey, go lay back down. If he calls, if he calls, I don't know if he's going to call, but if he calls, say, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. So surely enough, he goes back, he lays down and he's, you can imagine he's in his little race car bed by the, by the box and he's sitting there and just waiting waiting and all of a sudden he hears Samuel and he goes oh speak Lord your servant is listening 
Speak, Lord. And what I want you to notice is this, this little nuance, but I think this, this will help you. Let's throw this verse up. It says this. Therefore, he said to, Eli said to Samuel, go lay down. And if he, if he calls you, you should say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Notice that. He laid down in his place. And notice the next line. And the Lord came and stood up. Can I tell you right now, Samuel laid down. And God stood up. Can I tell you right now, God is waiting for you to lay down to begin to stand up on the inside of you. Maybe when you quit running to the left and running to the right and running to that familiar place, God can actually begin to stand up on the inside of you. The calling of God can be realized because listen to me, the calling of God, it's always birthed through rest. It is always birthed through rest. It is not birth through you working your worried little spiritual fingers to the bone. It's always birth when we get into a place of rest. Why? Because a posture of rest is a posture of trust. A posture of rest is a posture of trust. And the second Samuel laid down, whoo, God stood up. God stood up. Here's the thing I want you to realize is God is committed to rest. So much so that he did it on the seventh day and commands all of us to take a day of rest. It's called the Sabbath. So here's the thing. God refuses to work while you're working. He says, either you're going to rest or I'm going to rest. And if you're going to work, I'm going to rest. But when you finally lay down, whew, I'll go to work. Can I tell you right now, on the inside, somewhere in, in the deep recesses of your spirit, I came to coerce you to lay down and let God stand up. Let his call stand up. I'm telling you, his, calling, your, his call can defend itself. Let God stand up on the inside of you. And this is where I completely wind down. If I can have Evan or somebody come play quietly behind me. This is where we, we completely land the plane. All of a sudden we see that Samuel says, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Your servant's listening. And I would think, listen to me, this is the first time God has ever spoken to Samuel. God intends to use him wildly. God's going to change the face of a nation through this man. I would fully expect God to look at Samuel and say, here's what I want you to do, Samuel. Here's what I'm calling you to do. You're going to go here. You're going to tear down these idols that are on this hill because they are, they are a desecration to me. Then you're going to go over here and you're going to tell this king this because he's an abomination to me. Here's what you're going to do, Samuel. And notice the first words out of God's mouth to Samuel had nothing to do with what Samuel was called to do. It was asking nothing of Samuel. God says, okay, now you're listening. He says, here's what I'm going to do for you. The first word to Samuel was all about what God wanted to do for Samuel. And the, 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 what God says is really long, but here it is in gist. He says this, I'm getting rid of Eli. I'm going to get rid of Eli for you. I'm getting rid of the place you keep running instead of running to me. Ultimately, you have to understand Eli, because his heart had gone sour and he had allowed Hophni and Phinehas to do what they were doing, he was a lid to what God wanted to do, not only in Samuel's life, but in the life of every person. And so God says, hey, here's what I'm coming to do. I'm coming to remove your lid. I'm coming to remove the obstruction. I'm coming so that my grace and my love and who I am can flow freely in your life once again. I'm removing Eli. This is what he says to Samuel. And all of, a Samuel, all of a sudden, Samuel goes to sleep and he wakes up and Eli comes up to him and he says, so what did God tell you? 
And Samuel now has a choice. Am I going to tell him what God told me? Or am I going to lie? And let's see here. It says this in verse 18. 1 Samuel 3, verse 18. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. He tells him everything. He's like, yeah, God's getting rid of you, bro. That's what he said. You asked. Don't shoot the messenger. You asked. I told didn't hide, it, hide anything from him. And notice this, this is Samuel's reply, or excuse me, Eli's reply. He says this, it's the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. It's the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. Can I tell you that when God gives you a word, even the things God is gonna remove, can't argue with it. Eli didn't go, oh no, he's not. You little snot-nosed brat, you go back to bed. You had something weird to eat. That was not God you were hearing. He couldn't argue with the word that God has spoken. Can I tell you the things that have kept you from being able to step into the call of God on your life? They can't argue with the word of God over your life. I'm telling you, it's time. It's time to let him stand. It's time to let him stand once again in your life. Some of you, you used to lay in the presence of God. I'm not talking literally, I'm talking in, the, in a spiritual sense. You used to be at a place of rest where you knew he was your provider. And somewhere along the way, you got it twisted and thought it was on you to get it done. And God says, I did all of this tonight to get rid of that Eli. It's a lie. I'm coming after your Eli tonight. I'm coming after that thing that has been a lid to your calling that has kept you out of your calling, that convinces you you're never gonna be good enough. I'm coming after that familiar place that you run to when I call you. I'm coming after your Eli tonight. And right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just wanna create a moment. Because listen to me, and I want you to hear this with your eyes closed so you can truly hear it, is that this is a prophetic picture of what Jesus would do so many years later. Jesus didn't come to tell you how to get your enemy out of your way. Jesus didn't come to tell you how to remove your lid. He came to remove it for you. This is a picture of the grace of God saying, I will remove what you are incapable of removing. I'll get him out of the way. Let me fight your enemies. Let me have your sins, son. I know it's too heavy for you. I know it's convinced you time and time again that I'll never love you, that I have no place for you, that there's not a call of God on your life. Let me have it. Lay down so I can stand up. And tonight, if you would say, Keenan, I want to give my life to Jesus, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, I want to allow his word to come and do for me what I can't do for myself. That by the grace of God, God's going to remove the thing that I can't remove. That place that I keep running to. That label, that mindset, the anxiety, the depression, the religion, the thing that it seems like a good thing. I keep running to it. But I, when I run to it, I run from him. And God says, I wanna remove it tonight. If that's you when, you, when I count to three, if you wanna accept Jesus for the first time or for the first time in a long time, I'd just like you to shoot your hand up as a sign of surrender and faith. But there's a second group of people I'm, I feel the need to talk to. And you would say, Keenan, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus, but I've been running to other things rather than the one who's calling me. I love Jesus, I'm going to heaven. This is not a, this is not a salvation issue but I'm ready to quit running to my Eli. I need to sacrifice my Eli tonight. 
If that's you, if you fall within any of those groups, I just want you to shoot your hand up as a sign of surrender and faith. One, God loves you. Two, now's your moment. Come on, three, if that's you right now. Hands going up quite literally all over this auditorium. Praise God. Praise God. Hands going up everywhere. I'm gonna pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for every hand that is raised to heaven because that hand represents a heart that has just said yes to you. And Lord, I thank you that right now your grace rushes in like a flood and it removes the blockage. It removes the Eli. It removes the lid and the cap that the enemy has slapped on them and said, you can go this far and no further. Lord, I thank you that your love is boundless. Your love is endless. It flows far and wide tonight. And Lord, I thank you that right now, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit, says the Lord. Your spirit is doing something. Lord, I thank you that this is a real moment. This is not emotional. This is not pulling at heartstrings. This is heaven pulling on us. And I thank you for it right now. Lord, I thank you that this goes deep inside their heart. Lord, let, let the enemy never take it away. I thank you that they're yours. They're saved. They're secure. They're heaven ready right now. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on. Can we put our hands together for what Jesus just did tonight? Come on. Man. Hey, I know I preached long. I'm sweating right now so bad. But I just so appreciate you guys coming out tonight. You have no idea how much we